All right, we are in Matthew chapter 5, and we're picking up at verse 33. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. And you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of His feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Jesus underscores the importance of speaking truthfully. You know, one would think that this is... This is uh, Everybody really knows this, but it is not the case. If you learn to deal honestly in your life and in your dealings with people, if you say, I'll be there, and then you make sure you go there, even if it hurts, or if you're unable to make it, call and explain yourself. If you learn to do that, you will be greatly blessed. If you look in Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3 says, Do not let kindness or truth leave you. Find it around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, I memorized this portion with my kids years ago. And I find myself, when I'm walking into a meeting, and it's going to be a really intense meeting and I'm liable to get upset, I say, Lord, don't let kindness and truth leave me. Bind it around my neck and write it on the tablet of my heart. Lord, take control of me in that meeting and let me speak truthfully. You know, the the people that you will deal with in life will know immediately when you are a person who is honest, versus a person who is dishonest. There are characteristics that are on people's faces that occur because their, their faces were not even made to speak dishonesty. I read a report of these, these men who, who interrogate people and their success rate in understanding who is lying and who is not. And so they had 20 people come in and they were interviewed, not even by these interrogators, they would just ask the interrogators, do you think that this person is lying or telling the truth? And they didn't even speak English. They were interrogating them in a foreign language, a language that these interrogators didn't know, because the interrogators had picked up so much in just the facial expressions that go along with lying versus telling the truth. And of the 20 people that were interviewed, 17 of them they predicted correctly when they were lying or telling the truth. Seventeen of them. Seventeen out of the twenty. And they didn't even understand the language. People are able to perceive when we are lying and when we are speaking the truth. People perceive it. And these sort of things will carry with you in life. 
When you deal honestly with people, you will be truly blessed. It says, if you do this, you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and men. You will be brought up and brought higher if you speak honestly and deal honestly. You know, I'm amazed in, in, in the sciences now. In every journal, there's always a, several statements when you publish a paper there on ethical guidelines. And they brought this in over the last 15 years. They started inserting these statements. And it doesn't do any good. The cheating still goes on. The dishonesty still goes on. It's not like, oh, there's a page here on ethical guidelines. I think I'd better not lie because for some reason they're expecting me not to lie. So I guess I won't lie. You see what I mean? It hasn't changed anything. Because it gets back to the heart of man. And Jesus is saying that when we say something, that we are going to do it, we're to follow through. Look again in 1 Peter chapter 3. We have looked at 1 Peter chapter 3 several times concerning this portion in, uh, in, in, um, that we've been going through in the Beatitudes. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, so if you can find Hebrews, uh, just go, go a little bit after that, you'll hit James and then 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You see what it says? If you desire life and good days, if you want to see good days, if you want to see fruitfulness in your life, you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. When we deal honestly with what we say, we will be blessed. When you fill out your tax returns, if you fill them out honestly, you will be blessed. If there's any question, give it to the government. Don't let any untruth follow you. And you will be truly blessed. You say, well, nobody really sees it. God sees everything. He sees everything. And He is the one who orders your life. Your footsteps can be ordered by Him. And when you deal honestly you will be blessed when you deal honestly with others. Jesus said you are to keep your vows. You don't have to put your hand upon a book and swear by it. Just let your word be your word. You will be blessed if you follow these things. Okay, let's turn back to Matthew. Chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? 
Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is calling us to something that is so different than the way we are normally as humans. And Jesus exemplified this. He is such a compelling character. When you look at the character of Jesus, how He can be so direct in His words, and yet so loving and gracious to the sinner. Jesus is this character that draws people to Himself. And what He says, He says, indeed the Scriptures do say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But then He turns the whole thing around. He says, let me tell you where this should take you. If you really follow this, where this should take you, this should take you to being kind to your enemy, being gracious to those who have done you wrong. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been stood up for an appointment? So you made an appointment and the person didn't show up. This happens all the time in my dealings with students. It's all the time. We make an appointment and they don't show up. One time this, this mother of this one student said, would you get together with my son? He, you know, he really used a meeting with you. And I invited him to lunch at the faculty club. Now, that's pretty nice. And... So I'm waiting at the faculty club, and he never shows up. He just never showed up. And so I sent him an email saying, you know, I missed you at the faculty club, and, you know, we had arranged this. And he never responded. And then there, there was some meeting that he was supposed to have with my daughter. And she was meeting him at some place on campus for lunch, and he never showed up. You know, and... How do we respond in those sort of situations? And what I've learned to do, the way I've learned to deal with this is to say, not a problem, I too have missed many appointments before. If we show mercy, we receive mercy. However you deal with others, it will be dealt with you. If you show mercy, you will receive mercy. Jesus says that we are to go the extra mile with people. We are to turn and and do things differently. He says, show yourselves to be sons of God. Forgive as God has forgiven you. It is a glory not to return fire. It is a blessing not to return curses, but to return a blessing instead. You see this very often in dialogues between people as you're copied on emails. And one person says something sharp, and the other person replies with something a little bit sharper. And it begins to just just really turn into World War III. All it takes is one small word. Hey, I need help here. Can you help me? I need some grace. I have learned that if we are like that woman at the side of the road with the hood of the car up and the hands on the hip, just looking in, any woman can have a hundred men stop for her. You just open the hood of your car, stand at the side of the road like this, and look in there. A hundred men will stop. There's something within people that they want to help and stop a person in need. If we cry out and we say, hey, I need some help here, grace please, immediately grace starts to come. You know, I took on this new office in the, in, in the university administration, and, and I'm finding that a lot of, of what was left there was not left in good shape. And so there's all these things coming up and there's other accounting offices that are really upset because things aren't getting done right. Well, it was left in utter disarray. And I can hear the rising anger of these accountants 
accountants that are in some office on the campus that I don't even know where they are. I mean, there's some, some uh, virtual office somewhere of these accountants that are getting upset about these accounts, and I don't even know what they're talking about. I really don't. So I have to go and begin to dig into this, and I say, I, I, I entitle the email, Help, Please. And I say, you know, I'm beginning to look into this on a very sharp learning curve. I need the administration's grace. Can you help me, please? And immediately, the whole conversation changes. And all their anger goes away. And they see that they're misdirecting their anger. It's at the wrong person. Now, I could easily use my position and start firing back. And start calling their boss and saying, Do you know what your person is saying to me? But all I have to do is say this, and immediately I have won a friend. I get all these friends. And they all start liking me. They say, what a nice guy. They don't know how mean I can really be. But, but all it takes is, you know, I just bite my lip, and I hold my nose, and I write a little email like this of kindness. And it just elicits this enormous kindness in return. When we are gracious, we get this gracious attitude back. It turns people around. And then, more so, when we're crying out for help, when we say, I need help here. I really need help. When we're preaching the gospel, we need in particular to show grace and mercy. I want to read you some things of preachers. These are, this is when street preaching started becoming popular. And you can... These stories are just tremendous of the things that went on and what we are to do as believers. And I remember I was sharing these sort of things once with, with some folks on the Houston Astros baseball team. And one guy said, why do I have to do it? Why doesn't the other person? I said, because you are the believer. They are not. Because you are the believer. They are not. That is why you have to deal with these things. We have to deal differently. We have to deal differently than the people of the world. Because we are the believer. We have to take that first step. The people of the world will not. We must initiate the kindness. Look at some of these stories about these street preachers. It was a blessed day when the Methodists and others began to proclaim Jesus in the open air. Then were the gates of hell shaken and the captives of the devil set free by hundreds and by thousands. Once re recommenced, the fruitful agency of field preaching was not allowed to cease. Amid jeering crowds, crowds and showers of rotten eggs and filth, the immediate followers of those two great Methodists continued to storm village after village and town after town. Very varied were their adventures, but their success was generally great. One smiles often when reading incidences in their labors. A string of pack horses is driven as to break up a congregation. A fire engine is brought out and played over the throng to achieve the same purpose. Handbells, old kettles, marrow bones and cleavers, trumpets, drums and entire bands of music were engaged to drown out the preacher's voices. In one case, the parish bull was let loose and in another, dogs were set to fight. The preachers needed to have faces set like flints and so indeed they had. John Furs says, As soon as I began to preach, a man came straight forward and presented a gun at my face, swearing that he would blow my brains out if I spake another word. 
However, I continued speaking, and he continued swearing, sometimes putting the muzzle of the gun to my mouth, sometimes against my ear. While we were singing the last hymn, he got behind me, fired the gun, and burned off part of my hair. After this, my brethren, we ought never to speak of petty interruptions and annoyances. The proximity of a, of a blunderbuss in the hands of the son of Belial is not very conducive to collected thought and clear utterance. But the experience of Furs was probably no worse than that of John Nelson, who coolly says, But when I was in the middle of my discourse, one at the outside of the congregation threw a stone which cut me on the head. However, that made the people give greater attention, especially when they saw the blood run down my face, so that all was quiet till I was done, and was done singing the last hymn. I mean, these guys were tremendous. These are my heroes. Imagine what God has called us to. You know, I don't know if you've ever been asked to speak in a certain situation and things aren't quiet and there's interruptions. I mean, no interruptions like this. This is the face of flint that God has called us to, especially when we are preaching the gospel, to love our enemy, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who mistreat us, not to return evil for evil, but we are to turn a blessing, return a blessing for those who curse us. This is what God has called us to. This is the Christian life. If you don't like that sort of life, you don't have to live it. But it is far more of a blessed life. And your children after you will be great because they will have seen what you demonstrate in this. This is a different sort of lifestyle. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. This is the practice that He says we're to have. So that, He says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He wants to change things in our lives. And when we have this sort of attitude, it blesses others. When we show kindness, it blesses others. When you do this, others will be blessed. And it will bless your careers tremendously. Let me make one other mention concerning your careers. You know, he says back up, he says in verse 36, Now, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You know, so much we try to control in our lives, but God has the ultimate control. Look in, look in the epistle of James. Right after Hebrews is this epistle, epistle of James. And look in, in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Concerning this point in verse 13. James 4.13 Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know that your what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows what is right, but does not do it, to him it is sin. You see, he says that even when we talk about our careers in the future, we don't know what the future will hold. We really don't. 
We don't know that we're going to be able to go to medical school or have such and such a career. And this is what the Scriptures say. We can't turn one hair on our head white or black. We can't do that. God is the one who controls all of this. And this is why we submit to His will and submit to His Word. Because His Word will always be found true. In the end, it will be found true. Everyone that I know who has tried to oppose this Word has in the end not profited. They have profited in the short term, but in the end, they have not profited. This Word is true. What God calls us to is the thing that is really going to take place. Okay, let's return to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Matthew 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus calls us to practice good works. Practice in such a way that even our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. And the only way that can happen is when you do it so much. You give so often, you can't even keep track of it. You can't even keep track. I mean, when we first got married, we had a large wedding. We had about four or five hundred people came to our wedding, and we had a bunch of gifts. We've got this U-Haul trailer that I pulled behind the car, and, and, and uh, so we pulled up to our new apartment, and we drove across like six states and pulled into our new apartment, and I unloaded all these gifts, and we, we moved them on in. The next day, Shireen met this Pakistani woman who likewise had been married just in the last few days and had come to this country with her husband and, and her husband was a graduate student. And she came home that evening and when I came home that evening, she said, carry this. And she gave me a big box full of our wedding gifts. Now we had other wedding gifts, but this box was chock full of wedding gifts. And then she carried another box chock full of wedding gifts. This is where are we going? She said, we're going over this couple's house. They have nothing. We're going to give our gifts to them. And I was so thankful that I had a wife that understood what it was to give. From that day, she took not our old junk. She took the brand new things in the brand new boxes, the brand new blankets, and we brought them over their home. And I was fine with that. And I remember coming home and she would take food out of the refrigerator. And I was just, remember, I was just a graduate student. So I, my income, I think I was making like $8,000 a year on my graduate student stipend. And Shireen didn't work outside the home. And so that was all we had. And I would come home and she would fill up these bags with food and bring it to people in the church who were without. And I was just a graduate student. I read a report. Now you can tell me whether this is true. That students, Christian students' idea of giving is giving to themselves. That is, that is what I read. Their idea of giving is giving to themselves. And I am so glad I am not a pastor. Because when students hear a pastor speaking about giving, they feel the guy wants to line his own pockets or help his own church. I get zero salary for this. All right? So if I get you to give something, 
and it doubles my salary, it's not going to do much. Right? I am doing this for your sake. We are blessed when we give. We are so blessed when we give. And then sometimes students will complain, oh, well, you know, they have this giving program and people go up and they put their card in the front, you know, while people are watching. Look, this is actually exactly how it was done in the Scriptures. If you, if you turn to, to Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12. So, so before you get, get too technical with the way a particular church does things, um, read the Gospel. Mark chapter 12, in verse 41, it says, And when he, meaning Jesus, when Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, he began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. So what was he doing with his disciples? They were sitting there and watching people put something in, to a bucket at the front of, 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 of the arena there. So if it bothers you that, you know, some churches, you know, people will go up front and drop something, well, Jesus watched in that way. So you wouldn't have attended Jesus' church then. This is exactly the way he did it. So that's not bad. It's not necessarily right or wrong or more right or more wrong. It's just a way. And calling his disciples, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned and all she had to live on. When we give, it should take something out of us. In other words, if when you're grown up and you have a job and you say, okay, after I pay the bills from what is left over, I will give, I guarantee you, you will never have anything left over. You never, never will, because your expenses will always rise to meet and exceed your income by about 10%. It just happens. It just happens. And you mark my words. Kids think, when I get out of here, I'm going to be an engineer, and I'm going to make $40,000 a year, maybe forty-five, because I'm a chemical engineer, and I'm going to have money rolling out of my pocket. No, you're not. You're going to meet a man on the first day of work, named Mr. Fica. And you're going to say, who is this Fica guy? He keeps taking money out of my paycheck. And you're going to see money just disappear. And you're going to have calculated how much money you will make each week based on your gross salary. Your net is nothing like it in this country. I mean, we've got to fund wars all over the world. And all sorts of social programs. There's a lot to give out. And it's just gone. It's just gone. Half of your paycheck is just gone before you even get out the door. And then, whatever you've got left, you've already got this car payment and this house payment because you thought you were going to be getting a lot more. And then, and then there's nothing left. Unless you get in a pattern of giving now. Yes, now. You give out something now. 10% of what you live on ought to be given out as a bare minimum. 10% is not New Testament. 10% is Old Testament. You will not find tithe in New Testament giving. You will find in New Testament giving, people giving all. So you choose what you would like to do. All right? You want to go by the New Testament? In New Testament, it was all. So people will say, tithe is Old Testament, I don't have to give a tithe. Yeah, well then, why don't you do what the widow did? Jesus said she gave everything, everything. Barnabas laid everything he had at the apostles' feet. 
Tithe is where we start. This is the beginning. So in other words, if your parents send you $100 a month spending money to live on, or that's what you live on, give away $10 of it to someone other than yourself. Buying Christian books for yourself is not giving it away. As I tell Christian parents, sending your kids to Christian school is not your tithe. It is something outside of your family that you do for another. 10% is where you start. If you're in a church that believes that 10% is a ple- that people ought to give 10% of their income to the church, then give 10% to that church. If you don't want to be in that kind of church, go to another kind of church that doesn't believe that the tithe goes to the church. And then you say, well, if I give 10% to the church, I don't have anything else to give to anyone else. Well, have you ever heard of giving 15%? Then you have an extra 5% to give somewhere else. When you learn to be gracious, I have seen people who are stingy have, have stinginess returned to them over and over again. People who are generous have generosity returned to them over and over again. I gave a talk to all the oral surgeons in Houston because they wanted to hear about nanotechnology. This, and, I, and I was talking to one oral surgeon afterward and we were just talking about nanotech and everything. And lo and behold, six months later, my daughter needs to have her four wisdom teeth pulled out. And I talked to this oral surgeon. I said, what do you guys do mostly? He says, most of what we do is we pull out wisdom teeth. That's mostly what we do. So I called the guy who mostly what he does is pull out wisdom teeth. I said, do you remember me? He said, oh yeah, I remember you gave the greatest talk on nanotechnology. Da, da, da. I said, I think my daughter has to have her wisdom teeth pulled out. He says, don't worry, send her in. And, and, and he says, don't worry, I'm going to give you a good deal. Well, he looked at her. He contacted our insurance company, and the insurance company would only pay a portion of it, but there was a big chunk I was going to have to pay. He says, don't worry about it, I'll cover it. Now, I don't even know this guy. I mean, I met him for five minutes. You will be returned over and over again. God will take care of the teeth in your head if you learn to be gracious. He will return to you in ways you can't even imagine. He will return to you because of your graciousness. If you learn to be giving. Jesus said in verse 2 of Matthew 6, So when you give to the poor. He didn't say if you give to the poor. He says when you do it. There's an expectation that we do it. So I drive along in Houston and on all sorts of corners there's people there that are hungry. That have these signs up. I don't like to give them money because I know what that money goes to. But in case they are hungry, I keep always either peanuts, packages of peanuts, or packages of raisins in my car, because you can leave them in the summer heat, they don't go bad, and I get to the corner, and I pull out a few boxes of raisins, and I say, here you go. And I give them something. Now, I have seen people who are really, really hungry. As soon as you give them food, I have never seen that on the corners in Houston. They just take it, hey, thank you, and they stick it in their pocket. Nevertheless, I want to give them something. And so I'll give them a package of something. Missionaries, you send them on the, your way. You've you got a mission plan you want to go on in, in the summer. You know what's the best way to do to make sure that you will have people giving and helping you out on that mission trip? Learn to give to other people who are going on mission trips. Spend $20 a month or $40 a month giving to somebody else going on a short-term mission trip. And that way, when you need to go on a mission trip, God will supply your need. 
God will supply your need. Now, I'm going to teach you one other thing that I think. And, you know, it says, if you look what the church is instructed to do, the church is instructed to take care of widows. But its definition of a widow is this. The scriptural definition. It says, make sure she is a widow indeed. She had to have born children. She must not be a busybody or a gossip. And she must be over 60 years old. The scriptures say if she's under 60 years old, she's going to have to get support from another way. It instructs the church, you need to make sure your widows are supported. But the provisions are they have to be over 60 years old and childless. Over 60 years old and with no children of their own to support them before they are a burden on the church. Well, if she had to have born children and now she has to have been childless. In other words, she must have born children and her children are dead. And she must be over 60 years old and have no other means. And only then should she be supported by the church. That means that the church isn't supposed to pick up the support of just everybody all the time. What I think is that if your father can fly you to Vail to go skiing once a year with the family, your father ought to support you on your mission trips. And you ought not to be a burden on the church. That is my opinion based on what I see of not being a burden on the church. Paul specifically, specifically says, let them not be a burden on the church. So when my kids have to go on mission trips, if I can afford it, I will pay for it. Some of you do not come from homes that have a tradition of paying for kids on mission trips. You raise whatever money you can from the church or other believers to see you on your way. But if your parents can support you, Parents ought to support their children on these sort of things and leave the support that's within the church for those who have no means of support. If your parents, if, you know, ask your Christian dad, hey dad, you know, you're, you're flying me to Hawaii once a year for a family vacation. I want to go on a mission trip. Can I take that money instead and apply it to a mission trip for God's kingdom? See what your Christian father says. See what he's made of. Call him to task. See what your Christian mother says. They will be greatly blessed. And you remember that when you have money, you are to support your children and not let them be a burden on the church. But if there are no other means, use it. Use it. We are to support others. You want to be blessed in life, learn how to be generous. And you do it so often you can't even keep track. I don't know where all the food goes. You know, my wife buys so much food. It just... I don't keep track of who's eating the food. All I know is going. I mean, the food is just going. I mean, we spend a lot of money on food, and it's just never enough. I mean, I could double the amount that, it, that Shireen, you know, has each month for, for food, and it'd go. I mean, she, she'd put it in somebody's mouth. She really would. When you're generous, you will be blessed over and over again. My daughter was doing terribly in high school physics. And I remember there was this guy, Yi Wan, who was in the class. He was a Chinese student, a graduate student in chemical, uh, in, sorry, in electrical engineering. And I said, Yi, my daughter is having trouble with high school physics. And he, each week, would tutor my daughter for free, and she ended up number one in her class in high school physics. And now Yi Wan is teaching electrical engineering in China. He's a professor there now. You will be greatly blessed over and over again if you learn to be generous. 
If you learn to be stingy, it will come back to you over and over again because the Scriptures say, remember, whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. In, in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. And in Luke chapter 6, it says you reap not just what you've sown, you reap many times over. If you are stingy, you will receive back stinginess over and over again. Why don't I ever get anything? Because you never gave anything. Why is everybody always dumping on me? Because you dumped on other people. Those who are generous and gracious, you know what happens? They sit back, they say, I cannot believe how good God is to me and how good people are to me. I cannot believe it. I know that if I am sick or if my wife is sick, there are half a dozen medical doctors that have are now doctors that have gone through this Sunday school class and then gone to medical school and graduated that I can call on and they will immediately write us a prescription. They will come to our home and they have done it many times. When my kids are sick, I make one phone call and doctors come to my home for free and write prescriptions for us, everything, for free. We've received back many, many times over. One day, uh, um, we... we my son really hurt, hurt himself, couldn't turn his neck at all, make a phone call, and physical therapists start climbing all over the house. And the, this kid was in heaven because all these, the, the, these physical therapists were working on this kid, and he was delighted because, you know, there were all these young ladies coming in. And <laughs> so he was really quite happy. We are blessed many times over. If you have an open home and a giving home, you will be blessed. And this is what Jesus says. He says, you just do this so much, you can't even keep track of it. And your life will be different. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of the Word of God. You call us to a different sort of life. You call us to honesty, to speak honesty. And how you said we would find favor and good reputation in the sight of God and men. How men, as well as God, know when we're lying and know when we're speaking honestly. Father, I thank you that your word has called us to be giving and gracious. To be giving to other people. To be gracious in giving. To learn how to give. Father, I pray that you take these young people and you cause them to be a giving and a gracious people. Willing to give to others and help out others. Father, I pray that you would be removing stinginess from their lives lest they see stinginess coming back upon them. And Father, I thank you for your word that calls us to be gracious and kind even to those who are mean and ungracious to us. Father, thank you for these men who did set their faces like flint and who did speak your word and endure things being thrown at them, stones being thrown at them, guns in their faces and endured because of your word and the preaching of your word. Father, thank you for the lives of these witnesses who have gone on before us. Father, make us more like them, I pray. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would be different than people of the world. That you would create in them hearts toward you 
and that you would bless them with good homes and good marriages and good children and good careers where they can glorify you so that come what may, we cannot predict the future. We do not know what this world has in store for us, but come what may, our hearts would be toward you. And Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.